0: Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us, because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them, and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and today I have with me my my longtime friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Uh, Stephen Tager, who uh, is a, a professor uh, at, uh, of ancient scripture in the same department that I'm in. Uh, I think you've got your Ph.D. here uh, specializing in what we call homiletics, uh, which is, uh, he'll give you a better definition of this, but it's uh, drawing lessons uh, from uh, scriptures and, and from what we read and being able to use those in a way that we can, can draw real lessons from them. And uh, he also taught uh, seminary in the Seminary and Institute program for a number of years, and it's just a gifted teacher. So, uh, And I met uh, him first, uh, him and his wife. Uh, as we are going along some pioneer trails and four-wheel drives in Wyoming together. Yeah, so exactly. uh, he's got a wonderful wife as well. So welcome. Uh, welcome. Thank and
1: you, very i glad to be here. Yeah.
0: Why don't you tell us a little bit more? What else should we know about you?
1: Sure. So my PhD is in instructional psychology, but my research is in homiletics, which is the study of preaching. So I'm really interested in the principles and practices of a, of communicating scripture. And specifically, I study narrative preaching, and how does storytelling and story structure relate to communicating the gospel. And I teach Book of Mormon on campus, and I also teach the New Testament as well. So I'm really excited to be here.
0: Well, we are glad to have you with us today. So let me uh, just say that uh, this week we have, as our reading, we've had in the past, uh, mostly we've had like just like one book or part of one book. But this week, we're doing two books. We're doing both Philippians and Colossians. So we're going to focus on Philippians, which is the larger book uh, today. And I'll do a separate little short cast just uh, on on Colossians. But uh, Dr. Tager and I are just going to focus on Philippians. So why don't you take us through what uh, is, is meaningful or real to you in uh, Philippians?
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to talk about Philippians. It's, it's a beautiful book. It's also really personal. It reveals a lot about Paul and his nature and who he is. and of course, uh it it builds our faith in the Savior Jesus Christ. and that's the main purpose of all scriptures to build our faith in God and his Son. and Philippians does that as you as you study Paul's life as anyone who's been reading the New Testament, uh you realize that Paul is is not a boring character. He's a very, <laughs> he's a very interesting person. and I think in some ways, he kind of goes against the grain of what a lot of people typically think religious people are like. Uh, so for example, Paul is extremely intelligent, extremely smart, and there's a bad misunderstanding in the world that if you're, if you're faithful, you can't be smart as well. But Paul breaks that yeah. down. Actually,
0: just on that point, just to, to what you're saying, like Latter-day Saints buck trend, typically the more education you have, the less you're religious. But for Latter-day Saints, the more education you have, the more you're religious. So uh yeah. it, it really works for us. So you're right. You know, anyway, sorry, keep going. I know
1: I've I've heard of those studies uh, you know, making those similar uh, similar thing claims too. So um he also constantly argues against self-righteousness. Right, he's he's concerned about that kind of thing, or at least someone uh, building themselves up. We see this in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. Paul is extremely compassionate. He's trying and, to, and yet
0: ironically, him. he he often builds himself up in his letters as well. So it's it's a fun <laughs> ironic thing in there, I think. But anyway, yeah, Right, sorry, right. Right, keep right. going. I interrupted yeah. you.
1: No, no, and, and keep interrupting me, Kerry. But he's he's also compassionate. He's gathering money for uh, the poor. We see him talking about that in his letters. He's also very funny and witty and and sometimes more than just slightly sarcastic and he also has a lot of experience with diverse peoples and cultures and he knows how to interact in lots of different places. So he kind of like sort of works against the trend of what people think typically religious people are like. Right.
0: Yeah. And he also really, really cares for the people that he works with that, that comes across very clearly in all of his epistles.
1: Right. In fact, that's kind of how I want to approach Philippians is I want to sort of ask this question, and as we look at Paul as a Christian, as the disciple of Jesus Christ, um, I sort of want to frame everything we do today around this question is, how is he like that? How did he become like that? And we'll see if we can land on an answer towards the end of our time together. Paul is consistently showing surprising personal characteristics uh, that make him an extremely unique human being. And you see these really clearly in the book of Philippians. And so uh, Philippians obviously was written by Paul. From where, um, it's a it's it's a prison epistle, so it's from prison. Traditionally, it's thought to be written in Rome, but uh, Ephesus or Caesarea are other, other possibilities as well. If it was written from Rome, it would have been in the early 60s. And Paul established the Philippian church uh, during his second missionary journey. That's in Acts chapter 16. And the reason why he's writing Philippians is there's a number of different reasons, and we'll get to those as we go through the text. Now, Carrie, you correct me on this because you know uh, infinitely more than I do, but uh, there's not much (laughs) left in Philippi right now. I mean, that's it's just ruins there. Uh, I actually haven't been to
0: to Philippi, so I I wouldn't be able to tell you, but I I believe that's correct.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, and Paul is obviously a religious person and he's kind of like we were talking about a second ago he kind of goes against the trends of what people typically think about a religious person but he's not a, he's also not a watered down religious person in the sense that it's just kind of bland and just love god and be a good person um he's he's a very unique in his discipleship and his christianity And let's talk about what that looks like. Okay, so we're going right to Philippians chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 14. After Paul says hello and introduces himself in the letter, he brings up this really interesting situation that they're dealing with in the Philippian church. And again, it just shows Paul's exceptional discipleship and his Christianity and his security in Christ. This uh, This is what's happening. This is the situation in verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in other words, in some way, Paul being imprisoned is inspiring others on some level to preach the gospel more without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. So he just listed off two motives for people preaching. Some are doing it out of envy, jealousy, strife, anger, contention, And some are doing it out of goodwill. Now, normally right there, one of the things we love to talk about in the modern world is motive. And you better be a religious person for the right reason. You better no hypocrisy, right? But watch, and I'm sure Paul agrees with that on some level, but watch what he says here in verse 16. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. So he says, literally, some people are preaching the gospel out of contention. They don't have good motives. And then Paul says, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. In other words, that he's in prison because of his belief, right? And for the gospel's sake, right? Um, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. This is a really surprising principle that Paul says. He says, "Look, whatever their motives are, in the end, Christ is preached, and that's what matters most to me." Right? That's what matters most to me. And I do think sometimes people have a tendency to say, "Hey, get your uh, tinker around with your emotions, you know, until you feel like living the gospel, you feel like doing the right thing." But sometimes we just we just go through the motions. And the lord can still work through outward behavior and sanctify that for the kingdom's good it's good
0: and and if it's all right i'd like to explore this just a little bit um we don't know exactly what he's talking about or exactly what's going on but i think we can make so i would say there are probably things other than this but i think we can make a pretty guess as to at least what some of this is because we've seen it in so many of his letters that there are people who are going around to congregations after he's been there and are preaching, hey, you you need to keep the law of Moses. You're, uh, you, you Paul's got this wrong. Don't listen to Paul in the way he's teaching this. And, uh, and that just happens so consistently in so many places for so long. I would suspect that's at least part of this, that he's saying, okay, some people are coming to preach Christ, but when they're doing it, part of their intent is to tear me down. Uh, because they disagree with the way I'm telling you to keep to teach, or live the gospel and keep the the uh, commandments, as it were, or live, live according to Christ. Um, and then he seems to be saying, you know, and, and maybe it, this is where I may be putting too much into it, but I can almost picture him saying, okay, I, we know he thinks they're wrong, by the way. That's clear. He's said that plenty of times. He's been mad at them before. Um, but he may also, as he's, uh, this is later than most of those other epistles we've been talking about. He may also be saying, okay, whether they're uh, they're doing that to spite me and to get people to not believe me because they want them to to approach the law of Moses differently than me, or whatever. They believe in Christ. I believe in Christ. At least we have that in common. And if they're bringing people to Christ, the rest we can work out. And I think there is uh, something to that, like there are people who I find, okay, the, the way they're teaching th- this, I don't think that's a, a correct gospel principle, or I wouldn't teach it that way. Or I think that uh, th- they, they may not see the unforeseen side effects of what they're talking about and the way they're talking about it. And I don't know that they're supporting the prophet the way they shouldn't. So, but but I have to stop and tell myself, you know, I just think whatever, whatever is true about those things, I think they have good intent. I think they want to follow the gospel. In their view, this is the way to help people follow the gospel. And uh, I'm not the person whose job it is to go around correcting them. And so it's my job to say, okay, I'll let the Spirit, uh, uh, I'll teach it the way I understand it and try and and get truth out there the way that I know how to get truth out there. And I'm going to let the Spirit make up for whatever I'm doing incorrectly and hopefully bring good from what I'm doing incorrectly. And I'm going to trust it can do it for other people as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that really frees us up when we're sitting in sacrament meeting and someone says something and you think, oh, what what, what are their motives? You know, maybe a yeah. tear is a little forced or you're listening yeah. to someone give a thought on Instagram or whatever it is. And rather than being quick to judge, we can, we can be a little bit more secure like Paul is and just think, do you know what? Uh, in the end, these people are trying to work, bring other people to Christ. And hopefully, the Lord can sanctify that for good somehow, right? Yeah. yeah. Rather than be so so quick to, and I think that comes from having a certain security, right? Yeah, and, and
0: probably from some of the experiences he's been through. I mean, my, Paul's uh, been an apostle for a while, and I don't want to say he was like a terrible apostle to begin with or anything, but I would also expect that he's growing. Yeah, and he's in a different place now than he was when he first started having people disagree with him.
1: Yeah, um, even though Paul, you know. Uh, seems to be at a place of peace uh, with others um, in this text and with himself and with and with obviously with God Um, he's facing a dilemma here in this text that most people would never even consider if we skip ahead a few verses to verse 22 it says Mm -hmm. but if I live in the flesh this is the fruit of my labor yet what I shall choose I want not or I know not for I am in a strait betwixt two options, says Paul, having a desire to depart, which means literally to die yeah. and to be with Christ, which is far better. And then he kind of changes his mind mid letter there, or, or at least adds this afterthought. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And this is such a you know, we we want we want to be careful and cautious here, but such an interesting view of death. He's facing death, and he's trying. Is he says it's better for me. It's better for me to be with Christ, and he says, but ultimately I'm needed here, right now on the earth, right? And I, again, like I I don't need. Uh, at least for me, I'm not like that. <laughs> I don't think that's. The, I mean, I know I should think like that, but to uh, to be that secure in the Savior's love and goodness, and say, look, it's better for me to be with Him now. Than it is for me to, you know that 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 is a that that is far better to be with Christ. But he says, but it's more needful for me to be with you. I don't know, Carrie. What what do you think about those verses?
0: Yeah, I I think that's uh, correct and really powerful. In fact, um, if I could share a personal story, in, in some ways Please. this reminds me of my father who had Parkinson's disease, hmm. and towards the end, you know, couldn't do very much at all um, and felt like he was a a burden for everyone else. And it was painful. It was not a pleasant life for him. Mm -hmm. And, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go, but God apparently wants me to stay here and do some more good. So I just got to think of how do I bless my grandchildren? Uh, even in being a burden, can I be a blessing to people? How can I help them since apparently God, and I think that's the, I'm staying here because it's needful for you, but I'm ready to go be with God. I'm I I I look forward to that, right? And that's that's where it was. And I, I know a lot of people who end up in that situation.
1: Hmm. That's a beautiful example. That's a perfect illustration of that. Um so we've seen so far Paul is uh he's he's okay as long as Christ is being preached. He longs to be in the Savior's presence. He really is a remarkable disciple. Um now, one of the main reasons Paul is writing. To the to Philippian to Philippian church is that there seems to be pride seeping into the church, and if we go to chapter two, Paul says this in verse two. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Right to to be unified. Elder Christopherson last conference said, to be unified doesn't mean we can't disagree on methods or cheer for different sports teams or have different political ideas. But we have to be one in the essentials, in in Jesus Christ. Paul continues and he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem uh, uh, other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Man, there's very few verses in the New Testament that go against our modern culture. Then 2 Philippians 2, verse 4, this idea that, like a central part of who we are is to be a blessing to other people and yeah. to worry about them. And uh, the modern Western ideas, worry about yourself, worry about yourself, worry about yourself. Yeah. You take care of
0: yourself first right. and so on. Yeah.
1: Very, very different. Um, yeah, I
0: mean, and it, it does, I, I think I, I love verse three in particular where, you know, quit be lowly instead of vaingloring or having contention basically. Uh, and, and think so, even if you disagree with others, you're still of one accord to go back to what you're talking about. You're still of one accord. You can be, even when you disagree, if you think of them, like I, I've, I, I know people who I'm like, I don't know why they think that way. Cause I think that they understand this better than me, but because I I believe in what they understand, I can disagree peaceably. Right. And then like th- that will lead us to verse four, where it's, like you said, it's, it's so counter today's culture with this idea of forget- basically we could rephrase that forget about yourself and think of others. Right. I think that's what he's saying. Just quit worrying about yourself, which is the struggle of uh, mortality. I think.
1: Right. Right. It's at the heart of it. Interestingly enough, after talking about that, he's going to break out into this, this early Christian hymn verses six through 11, Mm -hmm. um, which some scholars think might be based on earlier Christian hymn or other writings. And it's going to, he's going to use the savior as his ultimate example of humility. Um. Uh, Speaking of the Savior, it says in verse 6, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the uh, likeness of men. Uh, Being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So it's this, this beautiful idea that God himself humbled himself uh, or or let me let me say that better he manifested his humility by coming to this world, chose to be born in a feeding trough, lived a simple life and through that through uh, that manifestation of his humility and meekness uh that brought him all the way to the cross and he and he gave his life for all people um the fact that Paul holds that up as his model is just so impressive to me like that that's that's what he's working towards where uh, so much in our culture is, Become successful, become famous, get lots of followers online. Hmm. Paul says that's not our job as Christians. It's to humble ourselves and to think of others. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is what Christ did.
1: Right. And Absolutely.
0: he holds Christ up as the great exemplar in that.
1: Yeah. And and Paul demonstrates that by the way he lives. It's not just um, it doesn't he doesn't just love God, but he also loves the members of the church. In fact, he actually wants to go visit the Philippians. And if we flip over to chapter, we're still in, we'll still be in two. But if you're in the Latter Day Saint version of the scriptures, you turn the page in chapter two, verse twenty-four, it says, "But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. So Epaphroditus he came with gifts. in Verse twenty-five. Yet I suppose it necessary." To send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion and laborer and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. And so Epaphroditus was sent to Paul and he brought Paul gifts. And Paul continues verse 26. For he longed after you all. He stayed with Paul for a while and he longed after to be go back to these people, uh, the Philippian saints, and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been sick. So Epaphroditus was sick with Paul For indeed, he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And so he's already in prison, and then to have this other person with him be be, uh, in this sick, nigh unto death, this was added more to Paul's sadness. I send him, therefore, the more carefully or eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. So, Kerry, do you want to unpack that for us a little bit? What, what's what's going on here? Those are some tough verses for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems that uh, Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to Paul, and they've they've sent before to him before uh, to take care of him. He usually he's trying to support himself, but they love him so much, and, and they're doing okay, so they send stuff to support him so he can preach more and work less. And now that he's in prison and they do that same thing, they send to him uh, to take care of him. And somewhere while he's there, Epaphroditus gets sick so much that he's almost dead. And the, back in the Philippi, they hear that he's uh, he's maybe dying. And uh, Epaphroditus is worried. He probably has family and others who are like, worried that he's dead. So he wants to go back to them. So Paul says, OK, uh, I'm so glad he didn't die. That would have made me sad. Uh, and I'm so glad he didn't die for his and your sake. But now I can send a letter with them. So he's probably the guy that carries the letter we're reading. He's probably the guy that takes it to the, the Philippians
1: awesome yeah it's amazing to me you just see how connected paul is to the members of the church he's ministered to and talked with you can tell that he knows these people he loves them he cares about them Um, and they love him right and they love him and um i think in our modern world people are wary of loving religious figures and leaders um but when you think about how much Paul gave up and sacrificed for the benefit of the Philippians, that would just be natural. Yeah. And I think of our own uh, apostles and prophets and how much they sacrificed to bless the church and bless the kingdom. It just seems natural that we would deeply care about them personally and love them and respect them. And and uh, yes, they are messengers of God, but in a sense, we get to know them over the years as we watch them in conference and and hear their life stories and and we start to care deeply about them and that's okay that's obviously um, a beautiful christian thing to have happen you know um paul on the other hand is also not afraid to be blunt with these people as well as we're going to see in chapter three he cares about them deeply and in chapter three we start to get to one of the main reasons why he's writing this letter to the philippians uh we'll we're going to do some of these verses and then we're going to come back to it in just a minute to finish up or Uh, But this is what he says in verse two of chapter three, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Now the concision are those who mutilate flesh. This is referring to circumcision. And what seems to be happening in the Philippian church are there are those who are claiming that on some level, the law of Moses still needs to be practiced. And we've seen this in Galatians. We've seen this other places, right? So even though
0: earlier he's saying, okay, I can see they have good motives he's still going to disagree with what right. they're
1: doing. <laughs> right. Right. It's a really good point, right? For we are the circumcision. That's interesting that he says that to a group of Gentiles, right? Mm-hmm. Which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, says Paul, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So what Paul seems to be referring to is he's he's going to kind of read off his resume. He says, if there's anyone yeah. who could trust, and um, being a member of the house of Israel by birth by flesh, he says I can do that, and
0: and by keeping the law of Moses.
1: By keeping the law of Moses, right? Yeah. So um, Paul uh, Paul thinks that one is okay with God. Well, before he became a Christian, Paul thought the manifestation that one is of the family of Abraham, he is one of God's chosen people, is that they keep the law of Moses. That is the that is the sign that they are justified before God. It says in verse 5, uh, now this is where he reads his resume. He says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, Blameless. Now, certainly Paul doesn't think that he was perfect, but he's saying, I was faithful in keeping the law of Moses. I was diligent I, in the Yeah, the law.
0: Right. Basically he's saying, I was a darn good Pharisee.
1: Right. And, right. and
0: that's what the Pharisees are known for. And he's, I was good at it. I was so intense in trying to be the best kind of Moses, law of Moses keeping Pharisee you can imagine.
1: Right. And Paul, um, contrary to the way that sometimes people sort of depict the law of Moses, Paul doesn't think the law of Moses is bad or or something evil at all. He thinks it no. comes from Jehovah. He thinks it's good. He thinks it comes from God, right?
0: That it's a schoolmaster to Christ.
1: Right, yeah. absolutely. And that's that. That knowing that he thinks it's a good thing uh, really sets us up for verse 7, which is this powerful twist in thought. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things. But loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And so Paul doesn't just give up, you know, bad things. But in his mind, he gave up something good, right? Something that was, that was, you know, uh, a, a positive thing in his life for Jesus of Nazareth. And again, that, that just shows us, uh, what kind of disciple he is? That he says, "Look, even the good things in my life—they're nothing. The, they were not—they're nothing compared to uh, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ." Um, Joseph says Joseph Smith has a quote from Lectures on Faith that I read as a freshman in college, and it deeply changed me. Uh, it was a really impactful moment for me, and it's based on this this writing in Philippians. Um, And it's a great way to apply what's happening here. He says, For a man or woman to lay down his all, their character and reputation, his honor and applause, his good name among men, his houses, his lands, his brothers and sisters, his wife and children, and even his own life also, counting all things but filth and dross for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, requires more uh, than mere belief or supposition that he is doing the will of God. But actual knowledge, realizing that when these sufferings are ended, he will enter into eternal rest and be partaker of the glory of God. And so Joseph frames this very interestingly. He says, for us to be willing to give up all of these good things, he says, we have to know we're doing the will of God. And but not just that, we have to be secure in the idea that someday we're going to, we're going to make it. We're, we're, we're redeemed, right? Um, we'll talk more about that later, uh, uh, um, in just a second here. But um, it, it's striking to me how Paul is singly focused on on Jesus of Nazareth, and that for him supersedes all other good things that he could possibly have in his life, including the the law of Moses. Oh. Okay, so um, it's
0: it's it's just a great uh, priority of perspectives, right? Yes, that whatever else is out there. It's all in the service of Christ, and none of it is worth keeping if it prevents you from coming to Christ.
1: Right, right. Excellent.
0: We Uh, all need to be be better at that.
1: Right. Now, for him, when he speaks of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the value of that, he doesn't think that means discipleship means we just sit around. In fact, he uses a metaphor that a lot of modern people can identify with. He says in verse 13, "Uh, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, and I and I would presume here, speaking of uh, his old embracing of the law of Moses as the sign of justification before God, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So without some help here, I might think he's just, it's hard to tell exactly what he's talking about, but he's actually um using in fact let me just read this from the harper collins study bible paul describes his life as a christian using the athletic metaphor of a sprinter who ignores what lies behind him and looks only forward straining toward the finish line in order to win the prize and so he he uses discipleship as sort of this metaphor of i've got to keep going towards the goal and i've got to do it in a way sort of like a runner would and keep pressing forward to that and and running towards that now carry are you a runner or have you ever been a runner at all or? Uh, no i'm
0: i'm too smart for that but my <laughs> wife is so i just say that to give her a hard time my wife b- both uh cross country and a track star in california so
1: yeah my my wife displays remarkable bad judgment and is also a runner and has run multiple yeah. it doesn't make you
0: want worry about him doesn't it but anyway yeah yeah
1: <laughs> you know and i I used to run, but not nearly as much or as far as, as my wife, Kirsten, does. But I I just want wonder... to run,
0: too, but it's when dogs are chasing me and but things like that. Yeah, I, Actually, I mean... my wife's got me to do a couple of duathlons and triathlons, but I try and avoid it. She's just a harsh taskmaster. So anyway, keep going.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So I wonder if we could think of some metaphors or not metaphors, but ways, similarities between running and discipleship. And uh, For example, one might be uh, when you run often. Um, your body just doesn't feel like it, but you yeah. just, you just keep going. Right. You have to, you have to press forward through the hard stretches of a run. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In fact, I would say like, especially in a triathlon, that's part of why they invented it is because your body doesn't want to do a running motion after it's done a biking motion. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. And, and that is so true. When you get off that bike and you start running, your legs are saying, what are you doing? This is not <laughs> the program. This is not what we're doing. And you just have to force yourself for a while. And eventually your body says, oh, yeah, that's right. We can do this. And you, you get back into it a little bit. But it's not natural for you at the time. You have to, to, to press forward with your eye on where you're trying to go. Because if you're thinking of what your legs are telling you or what you've just been doing, you're not going to do it.
1: Right. Absolutely. I, I also think that um, with, with running, another analogy might be sometimes as you're running, uh, they'll have people sort of on the on the side who are clapping and cheering you on, right? And there yeah. are stretches when you get encouragement, and then there are also stretches when there's no one watching you, and you're just yeah. running and running, and you're just there by yourself, and you're doing it because that's that's the goal, right? Yeah. We could keep going, but I I do think it's instructive sometimes to think, you know, what what are the relationships between running and developing strength and our discipleship, right? Um, uh, Paul doesn't doesn't just think though that discipleship means it's all drudgery or boring or difficult. If we go over to chapter four, he says this, finally, brethren, uh, verse eight, finally, brethren, and this was a common practice in the ancient world to sort of make a list of virtues and vices. but he says this in verse eight, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, praise, think on these things. And so the reason I, I am mean, obviously we have an article of faith based on this, but one of the reasons why I love this is Paul doesn't see his discipleship or his belief in God as something that's limiting, but he right. sees it as something that's expansive, something yep. that his job is just to just go out and get all the true and good and beautiful things in the world.
0: Yeah, it can take in everything, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Um, and Carrie, I, I don't know. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Why do you think that that's so important for people to understand about religion? Is that it's it's really the search after anything that's honest, just pure, lovely, good report? Yeah, Why is that so vital, do you think?
0: And we've had so many early leaders of the church that really focused on this, the idea that that uh, all truth is good and and all that is beauty is, is good. And so we don't have to find um, disagreements between, well, if you're using the scientific method to come to this, it can't mm-hmm. be true, right? No, that's a, that's a way of arriving at truth. Now we have to, to prioritize methods of learning, but uh, but there's so many different ways to come to to good things. Uh, now, in the end, you're gonna you can't accept everything as truth. Now, this is the danger is that we can start to say, okay, well, that's your truth. This is my truth, and your truth is equally valid. Right? Now, we can't say, okay, I respect what you believe. It's different than what I believe, and that's fine. I'm gonna do that, but but we don't necessarily say, well, it's all. You know, uh, from God, but more is from God than I think we recognize and realize. Uh, and and I think we are uniquely positioned because of not, we we both have Paul. We have the Article of Faith. We have these uh, teachings. You know, in the Doctrine and Covenants, seek see truth by learning, uh, well, by study and also by faith, and and so on. Uh, we believe that there are a thousand ways of approaching truth. John A. Witzer was particularly uh, adamant about this, and he's probably the greatest educator and academic we've had in the Church still today. Uh, that truth can be arrived at uh, in lots of ways. We just need to be passionate about finding and accepting truth in all its forms, whether that's uh, artistically, symbolically, whatever. Uh, it's all good.
1: Yeah, yeah. And of course, there are priorities in truth. There are some truths that are more important and more relevant yeah. related yes. to salvation than others, right? And we don't believe in sort of this a watered down pluralism where we're not thoughtful. I mean, we we make ultimate truth claims. Yeah but but we can still do our best to seek the good and true and beautiful in all uh, uh worthy faith traditions and try to think okay what is what 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 is there that's good and true and could be inspired by God you know
0: And I think uh, it's important to recognize they're not mutually exclusive but that that right. priority is important. So maybe I'll just use one example please. Um, I, find the I find God in in the beauty of nature right like when I'm in the mountains when I'm at a mountain lake when I'm at the ocean things like that I find God I feel the spirit there Uh, I absolutely do and I know other people who will say well and that's all I need but we know that actually you need more than that so while I find God there it's important that I find God through his church through his ordinances through the sacrament through all of these things. And so that doesn't mean that I can't find God in the mountains. It means I need to do both, right? Right. Uh, I need to both go to church and find God in the mountains. And I'll do the one when I'm supposed to be doing that. And the other at other times, I, I, both are possible. They're not exclusive, We, but, but we run the risk of saying, well, if you find God in the mountains, that's fine. Well, maybe it's fine. I can take you where you're at and hope that one day you get to where you also come and partake of the sacrament right uh and i i think that that's kind of making sure we have our priorities straight while accepting both both ways of coming to god
1: yeah i love that thank you that's excellent towards the end here paul again demonstrates his uh unique discipleship and he, any he, and in verse 10 he says this but i rejoice in the lord greatly that now at last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful or uh, the NRSV translates that as a uh, concern for me. Yeah. Uh, but then he, he says, like, you were you were concerned for me, but you lacked opportunity. He says, you wanted to take care of me, but you didn't have the chance. And he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Yeah. Such a powerful phrase. Yeah. He, he, continue, he says, I says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to be humbled and have a lot everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me.
0: Which is the youth theme for this year?
1: Fantastic. That's, that's a great, that's that a great, verse. <laughs> great, great theme. Um, it's it's interesting to me that Paul has found this deep sort of contentment. I, If there's a gospel truth that I wish I thought of more, it's a lot of joy and happiness comes from contentment, not continually trying to get more and more and more and more of what you want, but sort of realizing that you have what you need in in any situation. Right. And we can, we can be as flexible as Paul is. Right. He says, I, I I know how to react. I know how to act in any situation. Right.
0: Yep. And it's interesting that he is saying this from prison, right?
1: Yes. I'm fine
0: here. I don't have you know, I mean, he's not like in a jail cell. He can move around and have people come visit him and stuff, but, uh, but he he says he's lacking a certain amount of freedom, uh, but he says, "Yeah, I'm fine. It's right. it's all good. I can be good this way. I can be good another way."
1: Yeah. Now, I of course I don't want it to come across as if I'm saying here, as we're as we've gone through Philippians and as we land on this final point here, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying, "Oh, Paul, what a great guy. He's perfect. Never made a mistake. And he's just um, what what I'm trying to say here is he really demonstrates a very powerful and you a unique kind of discipleship. And I think I and, and I don't know for sure, but I think there's one key aspect of Paul's faith life that allows him to be so secure in prison where he's where he is not offended by other people preaching against him because they're preaching Christ. He's ready to go to heaven where he's deeply connected with the people around him, where he's not afraid to be bold, where he's content in any situation. That kind of security, I think and, and faithfulness, um, if I were to guess, it comes from what Paul teaches in back in chapter 3. So if it's okay, I'd like to finish with that. Yeah. But chapter 3, verse 9, Paul uh, just, he says he wants to win Christ in verse 8 and, verse 9, be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ. The righteousness, which is of God by faith. Now, Paul's obviously drawing on justification language here that he's going to go through. But Paul's saying, I used to think, well, Paul would say, I used to think that I was justified or made right in the eyes of God through the law of Moses. And now it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe a, a better way to sort of translate that would be faithfulness to Christ, right? Not just yeah. mere cognitive belief, but of, of faithfulness that leads to repentance and baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he says, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. I mean, you talk about a term that has been debated for hundreds and hundreds of years, the righteousness of God, right? I I think N.T. Wright is very helpful on this. He's a biblical scholar. And he says, quote, it is the righteousness from God. It is not God's own righteousness, but rather the status which is given by God. And I think that really fits in well with our theology as Latter-day Saints because we would say what happens here when someone exercises faith and repents and gets baptized, they are given a new status before God. They are, in a word, justified before Him. Um, and Paul says that happens through faith, not the um, the law of Moses. Uh, can we and, 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 and to order? go to your, well,
0: maybe just to, to touch on that please, a little please, bit and to go please. what you'd said already, because please. my audience will, will remember we had Brent Schmidt on one time. And he talked about this word pistis, which is what we have at the end of verse nine faith there, uh, which has a very strong connotation of faithfulness. So it is a conviction and belief, but it's also a strong uh, connotation of conviction and belief that leads to a, a loyalty. And acting the way you would because or you should because of that that uh, belief, and so I think that's uh, it, it, belief is absolutely a crucial part of it. But it's it's a loyalty coming through that belief or a, a way of being because of that belief.
1: Right. Yeah. It seems like to call it a belief or works is simplifying what the term actually means. it that's
0: exactly right.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, Paul continues on this idea and he says, verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, the JST changes that to the resurrection of the just. And then Paul says this very interesting verse, verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. So he says, look, I'm not like perfect in this ultimate realized sense, but I follow after he's working towards that. If that I might apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Let me read another translation that might make that a little bit clearer. And in, in this is the NRSV. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on it to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so in what sense has Christ made him his own? What, what is this? when he's justified, had this new legal declaration, what does that mean? I think it means this. I was, when I was trying, go, trying to get hired, going through that process, um, and at the beginning of that, quite a few years ago, I was sitting in a faculty meeting. I don't know if you even remember this, Carrie, but I was sitting in the back, and because I was trying to get hired, I know not to say a lot. I just sit there and listen, right? And, and I was listening. I think it was Lincoln who was presenting some of his research, or Dr. but I, I may be wrong about that. And when he was done, a professor got up uh, who teaches in ancient scripture and said the closing prayer. And in the middle of the prayer got really emotional. And this is what he said during the prayer. He said, Father, uh, I am so thankful that thou has redeemed us. And he said it in the past tense. And I thought, I really thought hard about that. You know, is that, does that, how does that fit with our theology? Is that, is it okay to say it like that? Mm. and as i've studied i've realized that that is absolutely an appropriate way to talk about our salvation paul says there's this sort of i'm not ultimately saved yet but in a sense i'm saved right now
0: yeah
1: um justification the definition that the church provides on its website i just think is so helpful and clear when paul says i am apprehended by christ i am I am, I have the righteousness of God declared declared me in the right justification this is how it's defined in the LDS or Latter-day Saint guide to the scriptures to be pardoned which is past tense from punishment for sin and declared guiltless a person is justified by the savior's grace through faith in him this faith this faith is shown by repentance and obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel Jesus Christ's atonement enables mankind to repent and be justified or pardoned from punishment they otherwise would receive. And so when we have faith and repent and get baptized, we're legally declared guiltless, is the phrase here, declared guiltless. And if we um, were to die, we could have full confidence that we were going to heaven because we're justified in him. Any thoughts you want to say? I have some more I want to Talk about this, but any any quick thoughts on that? No, I think you're right, and
0: there's there's something about like this uh, that we belong to Christ. Well, that happens as we are changed by Him, right? So right. it's both being justified, and I, I don't know that we're at the point of full sanctification, but having been sanctified is in that we're changed. Right. We are different than we were. We're hopefully more Christ-like or more godly than we were and when we are begotten in that way the, the way the scriptures often talk about it they they sometimes say i like this where we we belong to christ like we are of christ is probably right. the best way to say it but they also talk about becoming a son or a daughter of god as you make a covenant and you're changed right well we're all sons and daughters of god but you're you're in a different way you are because the new you has been begotten by god and so you're you're all the more a son and daughter of god than you were even before uh, and, and I think so that's at least we're not fully sanctified, but we can be in the process of being sanctified and be more sanctified than we were before, which is really what it means to be a saint, someone right. who's been sanctified. Right. I, I think it starts with baptism and you see that Holy Ghost and you're changed and then hopefully it just keeps going. So, yeah. Right. And that yeah. makes you of Christ. The, 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 the who you are is the new part of you is actually Christ.
1: Yes. Yeah. His you have, you have
0: that Christ-like nature,
1: right? And so the way I I read this is, the just justification is the event that takes place when one enters into the covenant through faith and repentance, baptism, and then sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ over time. We maintain our justified state by staying on the covenant path. We can have confidence that we're. Uh, in the kingdom of heaven, and and ultimately going to become like God someday. How, but um, as um, Latter Day Saints, it says in section twenty, co- contrary to some traditional Christians, we would say that one could lose their justified state before God. Yeah. Yes. And the way it's worded in section twenty is that one may fall from grace. And so, I think sometimes some of the excessive guilt that people deal with. And uh, even uh, just really struggle with perfectionism. I think that comes from not a misunderstanding of sanctification. I think the average member of the church knows that through Christ, they can be changed. But I think a lot of members forget that once you're baptized, you're justified. And you can have faith in the Savior's ability to, to get you there. Uh, Elder said And you
0: can renew that every sacrament meeting, right? Yeah, yeah. And be sanctified again. So I'd say I have been sanctified. I'm currently in the process of being sanctified right. and I will be further sanctified in the future. And right. that happens for me also at sacrament. But I can, if I have done things that have lost some degree of justification in every sacrament, I can fully gain that back.
1: Right. And, and the way I would, the, the way I would say it is, I would use two scriptural metaphors. I would say, um, our relationship our covenant relationship with god is like a marriage uh, he's the perfect marriage partner in that sense and we sin and make mistakes and mess up that's not justification sorry that's not um that doesn't morally justify him ending the covenant always if i if i if i get upset with my kids but so someone then may ask they may say this well why not just commit a bunch of little sins if my little sins won't cause me to lose my justification And that leads us to another scriptural metaphor, which is one of the most common metaphors for sin in scripture is is actually a sickness. And if I don't, if I'm not constantly repenting, if I'm not staying diligent in my faithfulness, it could lead to the kinds of sins that could cause someone to lose their covenant standing before God. Every single sin left unrepented is like a cancer. And so we have to constantly work and grow to maintain our justified state. Not in a And book. what's
0: more, it really does make us sick and it's not fun being sick,
1: right? right? So you may say,
0: yeah, do a little sin. Well, it actually makes you less happy than if you didn't do it. You may not think <laughs> right. that other time because you're listening to the natural man inside yourself, but you're less happy, less good, less able to do good because right. of, of that, right? Now, yeah. does that mean it's the end of the world? No.
1: Uh, for me, the justification is a legal declaration and you either have it or you don't. And the the way you lose it, is uh, through sin we believe that people can fall from grace, like section twenty says, right? Or Mosiah five says that we, we must we can lose the covenant name that has been given to us through sin, and but uh, minor sins and mistakes along the way, as long as we are staying faithful and repenting, we we can be confident that we're on the covenant path. Uh, can I can I just uh, quote Elder Christopherson here? He says, Yeah. Speaking of justification, he removes our condemnation without removing the law. We are pardoned, that's past tense, and placed in a condition, that's an interesting choice of words to use there, a condition of righteousness with him. We become like him without sin. We are sustained and protected by the law, by justice. We are in a word justified. Thus, Elder Christopherson says we may appropriately speak of one who is justified as pardoned, without sin, or guiltless. And then uh, Elder Oaks, I think, also helps here. He says, "Believers who have had this required rebirth at the hands of those having authority have already been saved from sin conditionally." And so, sometimes with my students, I'll put these talk about these three possibilities. There's not saved from sin might saved from sin and then uh, might be saved from sin and then saved from sin conditionally. And I guess we could even add a fourth one, saved from sin unconditionally. Mm. There's a big difference between saying, ah, someday I might be saved and saying what Elder Oaks said, which was, or uh, then Elder Oaks, now President Oaks, says, uh, um, having already been saved from sin conditionally. One, I've already been given the gift. And I have to maintain it. Another, I'm constantly worried if I've actually if I'm actually redeemed. And so we do believe that uh, someone can fall from grace, right? We don't believe in the perseverance of the saints, as like some traditional Christians call it. but um, but we but can we are redeemed. We are redeemed. And you can walk out of a temple and you can say sealed and you don't have to say to every single person you ever talk to, and I hope that we stay married. I hope nothing, th- that would just be socially weird. And we can walk out of the we- waters of baptism and say, I'm redeemed. I'm saved in Christ. Of course, I have, to, I have to stay faithful, but that's that's the assumption. President Irene, he says this, the gratitude, sorry, gratitude for the remission of sins is the seed of charity, the pure love of Christ. Because Paul knew he was redeemed, because Paul knew he was justified, he could teach things like uh, focus on others, and he could care deeply about Epaphroditus, and he could, and he could care and be connected deeply to the Philippian saints, because the ultimate source of our love for others comes from the fountain of love, the our Father in heaven and His Son Jesus Christ, and that's and that's the beauty of of knowing that we're justified before Him.
0: That is a fantastic way to end, uh, and and I think it is Paul's main point. It is being apprehended of Christ or being of Christ. Having him take over ownership of who we are is really what he's trying to say. Like we we turn the keys. You've maybe heard this song, like Jesus, take the wheel. We give him the wheel. We we say, you you take over. You make me what you want me to be. And he does. And we start to become him. Uh, that's when we are apprehended of or owned by Christ. That's what we do in the covenant. We say, I'm yours. Uh, like I do in marriage. I'm my wife's, right? Right. I I belong to her, and I belong to Christ. And I think that's Paul's major message here, and and it comes across just the way you were ending there, that, uh, that we're redeemed, saved, justified through Christ as we give ourselves to him. That's beautifully said. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Gary.
0: Well, uh, we are so grateful for Dr. Tager spending his time with us, and we're also grateful for Paul and those who work so hard to preserve these letters. And we're grateful for men like Epaphroditus that uh, took the letter back, and those who took care of it, and so on, so that we could have it today, so that we can continue to learn. Uh, we're grateful for all those who make this podcast possible, and we hope that uh, you've been edified by it, that you'll share it with others, uh, both like. Pointed it out to them and using electronic shares and likes and whatever those things are that I'm not very good at, but that I guess help other people see it. Uh, Dr. Tager and I uh, do this because we're hoping to help as many people as possible. So if you do those little things that help more people see it, that would be great. But most of all, we're just grateful uh, that the Savior will own us. So thank you.
1: Thank you.